board. We are in a series that is focused on Joshua, but for the last several weeks, we've been looking at this preparation that we are to be having as God's people in living out God's promise and His will in this world as His representatives. And so as Joshua came to the Israelites in Joshua chapter 1 to tell them to prepare your provisions, it's led to this question, what are we to be preparing as we live in this world and represent Jesus Christ and represent the kingdom of God? What are some preparations we are supposed to be making? And so we are actually going to be in the New Testament book of 2 Timothy. If you want to begin making your way there, we're going to be in chapter 2 of 2 Timothy. We're going to begin in verse 20 here in a moment. But as a parent, uh, I can remember when our kids were just babies. And if you've got little babies or you've got children of your own or even grandkids, you can probably remember the time that you spent with them, just teaching them how to balance. You know, that was a fun time with babies because they're all wobbly and their heads are all over the place. And so like how to balance and sit up and you're teaching them how to communicate. So you sit with your child and you try to enunciate words and, and try to get them to understand what you want them to do. And, and, and as I, I thought about this with Jamie and I, and, and I've seen other parents do this, so I know it wasn't just us, this strange competition that happens between a mother and a father as you begin teaching your child, and the goal is to get your new baby for the first words they say to be either mommy or daddy. Y'all remember that competition if you've had kids? You want your mama, ma, dad, 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 dad. You know, you and as guys, I mean, we kind of need a little bit of advantage because we'll even take grunts. He said it, you know, he, that, that's, that's talking to me. And so, we, we make this strange competition when we want our child to be able to communicate with us and then begin to start moving around. And of course, once they start doing that, we realize how dangerous the world has now become as we've opened this Pandora's box where they're now able to communicate what they want and sometimes communicate in ways that we as a parent don't necessarily appreciate particularly as they get older and maybe into their teenage years, those words that we thought were once so cute, they're now using them in such a tone and they're now saying it back to us in such a way that we kind of wish that it would be okay with God if we let them go out of this life a little bit sooner than expected because we can put them in their place. And we learn as kids is we get excited about them walking. The world in our house ought to, ought to, the world in our house becomes this obstacle course of danger. There are now sharp edges, edges in the home. There are now holes in which the little fingers can find their way in and things that will zap them and things that we know we don't want them to play with or be around. And so what was cute? Mommy, daddy, standing up, moving around has become don't say that, don't do that, don't go there, don't touch that. And so we begin to teach our children things they should and shouldn't do and things they should and shouldn't say. One of the most embarrassing moments we had with Ethan was in a grocery store. And Ethan had began to begin talking and we thought that was cute until you got him in public. And uh, we rounded the corner in this grocery store and went into the other aisle and in, in the middle of this aisle was an older gentleman he had a nice cowboy hat. He had some worn-in blue jeans. He had a nice, big, shiny belt buckle. His pants uh, were, were obviously blue jean type. He had his shirt tucked in. And he looked at us with his toothpick in his mouth as his little grin. And Ethan stares at this man and smiles, and the man smiles back at him. And in that moment, we realize, Jamie and I, how much our kids pick up on around our world because we weren't huge Seinfeld fans. And I know that's like, what, for some of y'all, but we just weren't. But the commercial came on every now and then. And one of the commercials promoting an episode in which Jerry Seinfeld said this comment that our little cute baby boy stares at this older cowboy gentleman and looks at him straight in the eye and says, I don't want to be a cowboy. Luckily, the gentleman smiled. I didn't know what to do with it. Ethan did it out of innocence, but in that moment, we realized that we're going to pay closer attention to what is said around our children, 
to what the TV is promoting to our children, to things they see, to things they begin to take in, and they begin to almost act like a parrot and speak them back out. I think it's funny as we get older in life as adults and, and, and teenagers, we, we actually begin to loosen those restrictions. Where what we're going to see here in the Bible is the Bible points out that no matter how old we are and the older we get, we still need to be preparing our conversations. We still need to be taking care of the things that we say and the things we talk about and how we talk about them and why we talk about them. And so that's what we're going to be focused on this morning. And this is why I said it impacts everything we do every single day, because you talk with people. Whether you do it through a text message, whether you do it through social media, whether you do it face-to-face, verbally, or on the phone, you talk with people in some way or another. And the Bible gives us instructions on how we are to prepare our conversations with people in the church and with people outside of the church. So if you have your Bible, make your way to 2 Timothy. Again, we're in chapter 2, beginning in verse 20. And the word of the Lord says, Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use and some for dishonorable use. Verse 21, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. Verse 22, So flee from youthful passions. And pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Just to gather a little context about this book is 2 Timothy is written by the Apostle Paul. Paul wrote the majority of the New Testament. It's written to his young disciple named Timothy, hence the title of the book that we have. It's actually a letter. But Paul is writing to Timothy as Timothy is a pastor of the church of Ephesus. And if you read through 2 Timothy... You can kind of catch the feeling of these last words by Paul to Timothy and giving him instruction as Paul has this this feeling and this belief that his time on this earth is drawing to a a close, to an end. And so he's passing on to Timothy how to lead and guide this church, how how to instruct it and how to engage the church so the church can engage the world because in Ephesus, Timothy is is bombarded by a lot of issues because here's the truth the Bible points out is that churches have issues. Churches have problems. Churches are filled with sinful people representing a perfect God and believe it or not, at times churches will get it wrong. Well, Timothy is the pastor of a church in Ephesus which the New Testament gives us a lot of information about this church in Ephesus. There's over 20 times this church is referenced The letter Ephesians is written to the church in Ephesus. And that book in Ephesians deals with a disunity with Christ and a disunity among the the believers within the church. And so Paul is writing to that church talking about the importance of them being unified with Christ so they could be unified with one another. Here in 1 and 2 Timothy, there's some sort of arguments going on amongst the church over doctrinal and moral issues and moral instruction. And then in Revelation, we once again find Ephesus. And it seems like the moral and doctrinal issues have been corrected. But then in Revelation, the church of Ephesus has now come into a self-righteous and legalistic issue. So this church has gone through a lot of issues. And Paul writes to Timothy as he's the pastor of this church on how to give this church instruction, how to engage this church, and how this church should engage one another as believers so they can in turn engage the world with the truth of God's Word. And so what we see here are four things I want us to take away. Not only how we should interact and communicate with one another while we're in the house of God, but how we should interact and communicate 
with people that you're going to run into this afternoon, you're going to run into tomorrow, people at work, all so we can bring glory to God and so that He can use us as an instrument of honorable use. That's right, Jackson. Thank you. Do one amen. Thanks. Our interactions with others should always begin with us. That's the first thing we should notice. Our interactions, our engagements, our communication, our conversation with other people always begin with us. Look there in verse 20 and 22. Now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use and some for dishonorable use. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. In verse 22, so flee from youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Our conversations... Your engagement with people this week is always going to begin with you and whether you and I are an instrument of honorable use. Whether we're an instrument that the master of the house, that God can use. In 1992, the rapper Ice Cube had a lyric in his song that said, you better check yourself before you wreck yourself. Now, Jesus didn't say in such a gangster rap type fashion, but he did say it this way. Why do you see a speck that is in your brother's eyes, but not notice the log that is in your own? First take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. What it means in, in engaging with people and always beginning with ourselves is before we can interact with other people, we must do a heart check. We need to make sure on how we approach a subject, no matter what it is, is going to bring honor to God. And it begins by understanding the underlining issue of every conversation we engage with, whether it's people of God or people outside of the church and who are not believers. The underlining issue that we all have and the, all the arguments and, the, and disagreements we have with other people is not because of that person per se, but it is because of their sin. Everything we disagree with in this world as people of God is because of sin. Because sin is living in opposition to God's promise. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 6, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And the reason it begins here is because once we understand this, we can begin to deal with the understanding that sin is the reason I disagree with somebody. Sin is the reason that me and somebody else are at odds with one another at this moment. Whatever the topic is, whatever the situation is, it is all because of sin. And once we can come to that understanding that I'm having this issue because of sin, I can begin to look at a person, not as the enemy, but as someone who is struggling with sin just like I am. Because the danger in our interaction, our conversation, is when we get into an argument, what we tend to do is we tend to place that person or that group of people as the enemy. Whereas the Bible clearly states we only have one enemy, and that is Satan. So we have to begin with our own heart. And a great question in dealing with a subject in our own heart is to ask ourselves, can I talk about this? in a loving manner which shows that I love God and I love this person. Can I engage in this conversation? Can I engage in this interaction in such a way that shows that I love God and I love this person, even if we disagree? And if we can't come to the conclusion that it's, yes, I can do this, then we as God's people need to step away, step back, return to the scriptures, return to prayer, and allow the Holy Spirit to move us and guide us. And some of us, we may need to begin fasting, begin pursuing after God. Because I'm sure you're like me, that you've experienced conversations that really seem to explode without knowing why they're exploding. For example, you may have a conversation about where you want to go eat here in a few minutes. What do you want to eat? 
And sometimes those conversations, even though they may begin about food, there's some underlining issues that haven't been dealt with. And responses and about where they want to go eat, but I don't care. I never get to pick anyway. So the issue isn't about food, right? It's about something else going on. But see, we're all tempted to do this, is that we can bring things from other sources into different conversations. And so we can't be a, a vessel of honorable use in that conversation. And it's more about proving someone wrong and proving us right. And so we've put someone as the enemy. The Bible says to cleanse ourselves. That we are to be a vessel of honorable use, which is allowing God to work on our heart before words come out of our mouth. The Bible says in Matthew 12, 30, 34, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The Bible reveals that the words that come out of our mouth as God's people are to be a fountain of life. That's Proverbs 10, 11. Because our words flow from our heart, we have to begin by doing a heart check, which means in our action, interactions, we need to know when and when not to be involved. Look in verse 23. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. Does anybody in here enjoy engaging in conversations that don't go anywhere? Anybody rush into an argument where you know there's no going to be no resolution? And a couple weeks ago, when this message was originally ready to go, Facebook celebrated 15 years. What a joy that has brought to this world, isn't it? A place where people can go into a, a, an atmosphere and they can put whatever they want out there for the world to see. And no resolution has to come about in any of that conversation. People can say whatever they want. They can attack however they want. If you want a heartache and headache for, for the rest of your day and maybe the rest of this week, go on Facebook this afternoon. Don't do it now. But go on Facebook this afternoon. Place your political or religious views and just wait for the, door to come, the world to come to your door. But here's the thing. There will be no resolution. There will be no change. You can say whatever you want, but you will be attacked. This is why the Bible says that every person should be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. It is important that we share our beliefs, but there's also importance to know when and when not to do it. The Bible does instruct us that we aren't to shy away from important conversations. The Bible instructs us we aren't to engage our world, we aren't to engage our community with the truth. But the Bible is very clear that as God's people, we are not to engage in conversations to which there's going to be no resolution. Because we only have so much time to spend. So the Bible gives us instructions not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. And to avoid irreverent, irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. Thank you, Facebook. You read the words of Timothy, and if you read this letter, I think you would get this image of a young pastor banging his head against the wall as he's dealing with this church that is, is going through some sort of controversy. And the instruction of Scripture is we engage with one another. We're not always going to agree. And as you engage with this world, you're not always going to agree. But not to keep banging your head against the wall when people don't want to hear truth. Instead, the Bible says, shake the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town, when you leave that conversation, and to move on. Paul had to do this in Acts 18 when he was in Corinth. If you want to see what Paul said, you can read verse 6 of chapter 18. Now, Paul, who was commissioned to write the majority of the New Testament and throughout his life ran into people that made him bang his head against the wall, you can better believe we will too. If Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, whom we're called to imitate and have the mind of and walk like, ran into people who wanted nothing to do what he had to say, you better believe we will too. And so we've got to understand there are going to be some people that we talk with and we share the love of Christ and we share the truth of God's word that want nothing to do with it. And here's why. 
People love their sin more than they love God. And some of us may be in that category this morning. We love our sin more than we love God. And so we will pick our sin over God every time. Paul writes in Timothy, just in the next chapter, in chapter 3, because this happens, understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. People will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people, Timothy. Then in chapter 4, he says, For a time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but will have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. I mean, this is our sinful nature. We will naturally go to people that tell us what we want to hear to make us feel good about ourselves. And as we, as God's people who know God's truth, do that, then we better believe people who don't know the truth of the Word of God are going to do that to an extreme measure, which is what's going on in our world. But it doesn't mean that we cower back in our holy huddles. Oh, we better pray more. We better have more Bible studies. Instead of the instruction of Scripture, chapter 4, verse 5 says, but as for you, meaning despite all this that's going on, despite all the stuff that you see, despite all the headache you have and heartache you have and the banging of your head against the wall, despite all these conversations that don't seem to go anywhere, as for you, always be sober-minded, endure the suffering, do the work of the evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. So despite people not wanting to hear the Word of God, we're called to continue to pre preach and present the Word of God. But we do it with an understanding that some people that we are going to engage with, that we love deeply, are so indebted to their sin that they will never hear God's loving voice. And that's sad, but that's, that's the truth. There are some people so indebted to their sin, there are some people who love their sin so much that they will never listen to the words of a loving father. Because of this, we need to know how to interact. Look here in 2 Timothy, back in chapter 2, beginning verse 24. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponent with gentleness. And I believe the how to interact far outweighs the if to interact. Screaming and yelling may make the news, but it's never going to produce godly results. Having a part of Scripture which supports our point of view may make us feel better, but it will never produce God results. I still don't understand why some believers believe that half of Romans 6.23 is what we want to present to the world. The wages of sin is death. When we leave out the good news portion, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. All that's being said when the wage of sin is death is that you're a sinner and you're going to die with no message of hope, no message of reprieve, no message of forgiveness, no message of love. The Bible's instructions to us here in verse 24 is probably the most difficult when it comes to our conversations with people, but one we really need to focus on and meditate on. Our conversations with people in and outside of the church always begins with this understanding. We have to understand who we are and who we represent. Our conversations with people in and outside the church always begins with understanding who we are and who we represent. Verse 24 says, And the Lord's servant. That's what we are as Christians. That's what we are as believers. That word servant can be read as bondservant. 
It means slave. It means one who has been bought and belongs to another. Now, in the context of Paul's day, slavery is a little bit different than the, the negative connotation we have in America in our history. A slave in Paul's day became a slave for this reason. They were so indebted to somebody, and a debt they could not pay, even if they worked their entire life to pay it, they were so indebted, so they sold themselves to the person they were indebted to, to, to pay off the debt. And so what happened, instead of owing that person that they were indebted to, they were then owned by that person. It's very similar today in how we can relate to it, is when you think about credit cards or your house payment, if you stop paying your credit cards, you stop paying your house payment, somebody's going to speak up about that, right? You will see results you don't want to see. Why? Because someone else owns that. We may have our name on it. We may have our mail shipped to that address, but somebody else owns that. That's what the Bible says in Proverbs 22, 7, is that the borrower slave to the lender. This is the connotation, the understanding that we have here in 2 Timothy in the New Testament when it comes to the word slave. A slave would enter into an agreement to an individual or a family that they were indebted to. And the terms of the agreement was that the slave would do the master's bidding because they owed them something they could not pay back. So under these terms, the slave would not just belong to the master, but the slave would represent the master in the public square. So everything the slave did, everything the slave said, wasn't just about them, it was about the one they owed. And this is the meaning we get in Scripture. Is that we were all born in sin. Sin was our master. We were slaves to sin. And so we did our master's bidding before we came to Christ. Whatever sin put in our hearts to do, we did it. But then we came to understanding that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was sent to this earth to die for our sins, and He did on a cross. They placed Him in a tomb, but He rose three days later that our sins were completely paid for in full. And so then, when we accept His forgiveness and His death and His resurrection, we now become slaves of God, and He owns us. So now everything I say and everything I do isn't about representing me. It's about representing my master in the public square. Romans chapter 6 captures this. And verse 17 draws it out clearly. But thanks be to God that you were once slaves of sin. You were owned by sin. You were mastered by sin. You represented sin but have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and having been set free from sin, that which owned you, because the debt was paid in full, have now become slaves of righteousness. Why is this important in how we interact with people? Because once we understand that I belong to God because He paid my debt in full, I can begin to understand that the words that come out of my mouth the body languages I use, the eye rolls I give, are all representing a God of love. Every action I have represents the God of love because I am his slave. So when it comes to issues in the world, if I cannot address an issue a manner in which shows that I love God and I love people, then I should really step away because I cannot re represent my master faithfully. The instruction here is that we, are should, we should do it with kindness there in 2 Timothy. The word kindness means to do it peacefully. It's to hear to Jesus' teaching when he said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be sons of God. To interact peacefully, we have to be able and skilled to be able to teach the Word of God accurately and faithfully. The word 
or phrase patiently enduring evil there in verse 24 means to be patient with difficult people. <laughs> Come on, Jesus. I got to admit, man, when I run into difficult people, I want to slap them upside the head all in the name of Jesus. I'm more like the sons of thunder in Luke chapter 9 where they wanted to call down fire from heaven to consume a town because they rejected the word of God. I want to pray, God, put them in their place. But the instruction of Scripture is that I should patiently endure evil, meaning that I should correct and instruct and teach those who are opposed to God's word with courtesy and gentleness. I'm to be polite. Not only in my words, but in my actions. Man, no eye rolls. No saying, you're stupid. No condemning them to hell. I love one definition I came across with courtesy. It means to supply free of charge to a people who are already paying for another service. That's what we're called to do. We supply the gospel free of charge to a people who are already paying the cost of their sin in their life. Politeness and kindness. Finally, we need to know why to interact. Look in verse 25. God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of truth and they may come to their senses, escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Here's the thing we all got to understand and I've got to, man, this is one's tough too. It's never about us proving ourselves right. It's never about you proving yourself right. Proving someone else wrong. In fact, if we engage in a conversation and that's what we're going in to do, we need to just not go there. It's about revealing how we are all wrong before a holy God, but by His love, grace, and mercy, we all can be made right through the blood of Jesus Christ. Every conversation, every interaction you have today, the rest of this week, the rest of your life is for this purpose. Not about me being right and you being wrong about you knowing Jesus Christ so you can be free from that. The point of our conversation is to bring people in a relationship with Jesus Christ so the Spirit of God, which God will give them when they come to Jesus Christ, can take over their life, take over their heart, take over their actions and their words and change them from the inside out. We have to understand that lawmakers and people who pass these laws and vote on these laws, lawmakers will never change their mind until Jesus Christ is the Lord of their life. And the people in your life that make you bang your head against the wall will never change their mind or their point of view until Jesus Christ is the Lord of their life. And so if you have aggravating people in your life because you constantly disagree, then what you need to understand is we need to get right with Jesus in this. It's not about me being right and them being wrong and me putting them in their place. God has already set their place as a sinner before him, condemned to hell, unless Jesus Christ becomes Lord over their life. It's about them coming to know Jesus. This is what Paul says in verse 26, is that when we interact with people, we have to understand who are not believers, they are captured. They are held captive to do the will of the devil. So for any issue, an outlook, decision, change, the heart of the individual has to change. So that's the whole purpose of our conversation. So how do we apply this today? Because I don't want to just, you know, throw out these little things. And I haven't preached for two weeks. So if I go a little longer, Charlie says it's okay. So you can send him your letters later. Right? Okay. How do we apply this today? How can we realistically apply what God is teaching us in this world today in our life and conversations you may or may not have this week? Well, you got to know what's going on in the world today, right? So we kind of have to know what's going on in the news and things like that. But you have to listen to the news, even if it's Fox News, with a filter, okay? Fox News is not Jesus Christ news. Oh, I'm never coming back. I'm just saying. This is the good news, all right? 
So we have to listen to all news sources with a filter. And one of the topics going on today that we have to understand as believers of God is the topic of abortion. And if I'm going to deal with this topic in the world and with people that I care about and I love about and I work with, then if I'm going to take the word of God and apply it to my heart, it begins by checking my heart. Because I need to be a vessel of honorable use on this topic or whatever topic you come across. And so I have to begin asking some honest and tough questions that I personally need to figure out. Where do I stand on this issue? Why do I believe what I believe? Why do I care what others believe? I think this is what Facebook and social media doesn't allow us to do, is we don't actually sit down with a topic, we don't actually sit down with what people are talking about and come to the conclusion, what do I actually believe about this subject? And once we come to the conclusion what I believe about it, then I need to go to the Word of God, the truth, the eternal Word that will not change And I need to come to understanding what I believe. Is that what God actually says about that? Because I may believe something that's totally off if it doesn't match the Word of God. And I'm just got itching ears. Just like people who don't know Jesus. And there's a lot of people in churches and outside of churches that have points of views on certain topics that don't match this at all. And the sad thing is, is when it's believers that we take stands based on political allegiances rather than on the word of God. And once we figure out what I believe and begin looking at what the word of God believes, and if you have issues, I think this is why Christians don't do this so much because we don't really know where to start. Where do I start? Let me give you a good resource, www.bible.org. Go there and you can type in any topic and it'll bring you up a whole bunch of stuff that comes from Bible, biblical sources. And you read through that, it'll give you scripture that you can go and read yourself. Anytime you, you look something up for the Bible, go read the passage first before you read about what someone says about the passage. And you go read that and see what the Word of God says. Now, if we're going to deal with this this issue of abortion, here's where we have to start, okay? We have to start the understanding that all life, all people are given value by God, no matter their gender, ethnicity, age, or religious views. All people. Because the Bible says in the very beginning, which God must have wanted us to, because he knows most of us at least read the first two chapters of the Bible. And in the very beginning, God says very clearly, we're all made in his image and his likeness. And so all people, no matter age, ethnicity, race, religion, are made in God's image and likeness to reflect God's image and likeness. And the reason some people do and some people don't is because of sin, which is in the first three chapters of the Bible. So the issue about abortion is this. This is where it all started. When is life considered life? That's what started the whole conversation. When do we define life as life? And since we are believers, or at least we're gathered in God's house, we have to take this question from a biblical view. What does God's word say about life? According to the Bible, Not CNN, not CNBC, not Fox News, not any other media source. According to the Bible, life is defined, hear this, before conception. Before the sexual act. 
Psalm 139, verse 16. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. Your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. And because abortion is tied to a pro-choice movement, we need to understand what pro-choice really means. Pro-choice is a term used to avoid the word abortion. Because the word abort means to end or terminate something in action. Pro-choice means to terminate the baby that is in the womb. And does the Bible speak about pro-choice? Yes. Yes, it does. The Bible lets us know that God has given us all choice. It's what some define as free will. We all have choice. We all have free will. But when it comes to choice, the Bible never, ever gives permission or applies it to the term of pregnancy. Never. The only time choice is used in this, even close to this arena, is in the terms of sexual relationships. So God's definition of pro-choice is don't have sex. Make the choice not to have sex. If you don't want babies, don't have sex. When you make the choice to have sex, you've made the choice to have a baby. The Bible also understands that not all sexual encounters will create a pregnancy. Joshua understood some myths of his wife's squabble. Men must be thankful for never having to endure this one. When Rachel saw her baby factory Leah, sister, popping out babies left and right, she goes to her husband Jacob and says, give me children or I shall die. To which Jacob, understanding where babies come from and who actually makes babies, looks at his wife Rachel, whom he loved, and says, am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of your womb? So Jacob understood something we need to understand according to the word of God. Babies come from God and God does not make accidents. He does not make mistakes. But we tie this to arguments and conversations. What about the situations in rape and incest and the health of the mother and the health of the child or the unborn? Because they don't call it a child. Even Planned Parenthood's own statistics show that less than 3% of all abortions, the 50 million abortions that have happened just in the United States, less than 3% actually happen because of rape, incest, the health of the mother, or the health of the unborn. It is all because of convenience. It's because of a sinful nature. We think of ourselves first with the sinful nature. The Scripture tells us right here in 2 Timothy, before we can even interact with this conversation, we have to do a heart check. We have to ask ourselves, can I engage in this sort of conversation in such a way that will bring honor to God and to show people that I love them because God loves them, even if we disagree? Put this in perspective. How would you like if people rallied around you when you went to work and yelled out a sin that you were struggling with for the world to hear? The act of abortion is a very personal decision. So when and when not to interact is a very important decision. Public forums, town hall meetings, Facebook posts are not the avenues to have these conversations. The topic can be presented, but the conversation should be engaged on a personal level. So we don't shy away from the topic saying, well, it's their choice. We don't belittle the individual or the group of people saying, well, they're just going to hell. But the Bible instructs us in 2 Timothy that we patiently endure evil, 
and we correct with gentleness. So we begin by being honest with ourselves. There's some of us here who know Scripture, who know what God says about certain things, but let me just be honest with you. You cannot talk about them with other people because you cannot engage in that conversation in such a way that brings honor to God. It becomes more about you being right and them being wrong. It becomes more about you lifting yourself up and putting them down. And so there are people here and there are people I've encountered and are in my life right now that know Scripture, are passionate about Scripture, are convicted about the Word of God, but they cannot engage in conversations with people who are actually dealing with the matter because they cannot do it in a loving manner. And so we've got to step back because the Bible commands us to avoid these type of interactions with people. They do nothing to represent the love of God. They do nothing to represent the love of Jesus Christ. And they only hinder our ability to continue to share the love of God found through Jesus Christ. This afternoon, here's the thing. I'm just going to pre-warn you right now. If God wants us to hear this message, then there's going to be people coming in your life this afternoon or this week that are going to irritate the tar out of you. This is like the prepping stage for the, the test that's coming. So before I get in that conversation, I have to be praying right now, God, give me a heart to interact with these people in such a way that brings you glory. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Because I can make anybody feel bad. I can make anybody get put in their place. I can do that naturally. The battle is making sure they understand that God loves them. Paul wrote to Timothy, and the Word of God tells us in verse 15 of chapter 2, Do your best to present yourself to God as the one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the Word of truth. And the Word of truth means all the Scripture. I mean, if I can't engage on topics like abortion, homosexuality, marriage, transgender issues, addictions, criminal behavior, or any other sinful act in a manner that is not revealed, that we love God and we love people, then we first have to check our hearts so we can be a vessel of honorable use. Now, the thing going on with abortion right now is this. In, Amer in Missouri, because we live in Missouri, so we'll just focus on that aspect right now. In Missouri, there's a big vote coming up this week. My father-in-law reminded me of it yesterday. Big vote coming up this week, which they're going to maybe change the law on abortion to, I don't know the official title, but something about a heartbeat law. That abortion cannot be given if there is a heartbeat that can be recognized in the unborn. Now here, Planned Parenthood, which is the leading cause of abortion throughout the United States, that's, I'm not trying to pick on them in particular, but they do most of the deed, okay? Planned Parenthood's only rebuttal to this law is this. A beating heart can be heard at six weeks of age. And most mothers do not know that they are pregnant at six weeks of age. So that's too early. That's their rebuttal. As God's people, we need to understand that a beating heart is life. You try going tomorrow without a heart in your chest. We also know that just because we can't hear the beating heart until six weeks, it actually has developed many weeks before that. So we got to be fighters for life because God is the creator of life. But we have to do it in such a way that brings honor to God. And real quick, because I know this has happened because it's happened in my life. You may be here this morning, and you've engaged in a conversation or a topic with somebody in your life, and you have burned that bridge. You have pushed so hard, you have preached so much, you have proclaimed so much, you have gotten the word of God and you have pointed it and shown it in their face, you have pasted it and shared it on their Facebook page without their consent.
to make sure they know that the Word of God says about certain subjects so much that you have pushed that person out of your life that they want nothing to do with you and nothing what you proclaim or preach. So what do we do in that situation? Well, here's what the Bible says. We are to be ministers of reconciliation. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us this ministry of reconciliation. It means if there's someone in your life that you've burned that bridge because you've pushed so hard and you've preached so much at them, someone in your family, your job as a child of God is to be a minister of reconciliation. As Christ has reconciled you to the Holy Father, you are to go and seek reconciliation with that individual. And so it begins by humbling yourself and going to them and apologizing you have not been a vessel of honorable use. You don't have to use that language because they'll be like, what? You, know. you have not acted in a way that God has told you to act, in a way that is represented that God loves that person as much, more than you love that person. And you need their forgiveness. You may be in the complete right. You may have this thing back and forth in the complete right of Scripture, Okay? But if you've not done it in an honorable way, and what that word honorable means, it means that I am bringing honor to him, not to me. So if I've, if I've burned a bridge, then I need to go and seek forgiveness and let someone know that I fall short as well. Finally, here we go, finally, okay? physical issue may be abortion. It may be some other issue. There's a lot of them out there. Pick one, right? Maybe the definition of marriage. It may be gender issues. It may be whatever. But we have to understand the spiritual issue is the heart. And an issue that is in disagreement with the Word of God is the heart that either does not belong to God or does not understand God. Like I said already, lawmakers will not reverse their view on abortion or any other unbiblical idea until they know Jesus. And the people in our life, we cannot expect those who don't know, know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, who do not know God as their God, and do not adhere to God's word, we cannot expect them to act like they do. We cannot win the argument through ignorant controversies, quarrel with words, or revelant babbles. That's how the Bible defines it. And say we're to be used by God to change the heart of the individual through the message of the gospel. So we're given this beautiful revelation in Scripture that people opposing to the word of God only have those views because of this reason, verse 26. They have not been redeemed from the snare of the devil, and they are captured by him to do his will. So the real goal of our conversation is to free people from being captive by the devil. It's not about winning the argument. It's about freeing the heart and the soul so they can become a child of God. So this leads to a final topic we have to deal with this morning. And that's the issue of sin. The Bible says we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That no one does good, no one is righteous, no one seeks God. That's all of us. The Bible says, as we've already read in Romans 6, 23, that the wages of sin is death. But the free gift is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. If you're here this morning and you personally have not made a confession of faith in Jesus Christ, if you have not accepted Jesus Christ's death for your sins on the cross, his burial, and his resurrection, you personally, then the Bible says you are still in your sin and cut off from a God who loves you. The Bible also says that if that sin is not redeemed, paid for through Jesus Christ and him alone, you will die in your sin and you'll be cut off from God eternally in a place the Bible defines as hell. It's not about what we can bring to the table or our good enough. If we could do something to earn forgiveness for our sins, then Jesus didn't have to die. 
So you can be a great person. You can do a lot of good things with your life and still end up in hell. And that's just what the loving Father wants us to understand. We bring nothing to the table here when it comes to our salvation. But Jesus Christ paid it in full. You may be here this morning, and this is exactly the message you need to hear. All this other stuff is kind of over your head because the Spirit is inside of you yet. The message you need to hear is Jesus Christ died for your sins. He rose again that you can be completely forgiven. And all it takes is for you to say, I believe that's true. I want to be saved. God isn't going to ask for your references. He's going to ask for your, your background check. He's going to say, come. If you're here this morning and that's where you are, that's why I stand here. Not to stare at you and you to stare at me or stare at the screen. Because I believe every Sunday there are people here that do not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And they need to accept Him. The Bible says, when I believe it in my heart and I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord, I will be saved. And that may be where you are this morning. I'm going to ask Jackson to come and lead us. If that's you this morning, I'm going to invite you to come down and say, hey, Pastor Mike, that's me. I want to be saved. Maybe you're here this morning and God has reminded you of a relationship that you have burned that bridge And you just need to come and kneel before the Father and ask for His forgiveness and His wisdom on how to rebuild that relationship for the sake of the gospel. Let me just tell you this. You're going to be engaged in conversations this week that are going to irritate the tar out of you. And God has given us the game plan right here today. Perhaps all of us just need to pray, God, let me apply what I've heard you speak to my heart. Let me be a doer of your word, not just a hearer of it. I don't know where you are, but now's the time to respond. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this day. Thank you for allowing us to be here once again. Forgive me, Lord, if I've gotten in your way, if I've done anything that has not been about your will and your kingdom coming in your people's lives. It's not about what Pastor Mike has to say. It's about what you've been wanting to say to us, that we might be the redeemed we might live like we have been redeemed, that we represent you and your kingdom, that we're your children, your ambassadors, your salt, your light in this earth. Lord, that other people would come to know you by the way we live our lives. Even if they speak ill about us, Father, they would see your glory through us. Father, I pray for our nation. I pray for our community. I pray for the people we are going to engage with this week in conversations that are going to be frustrating and irritating and break our heart and make us want to bang our head against the wall, Lord, that in those interactions that we would bring glory to you and not to us. Father, I pray for individuals that are going to be making decisions that are going to impact millions of people. moment. I thank you, Lord, that we don't have to be everywhere at once. You are a God who is in all places and all times. I know you're doing a great and mighty work that we're unaware of, but uh, we pray for those brothers and sisters in Christ who have the ears of those people who are making decisions. And they would speak truth in their life in a loving way. Pray for those Individuals who make decisions that don't know you as their Lord and Savior. As much as some of us may want them to be removed from office, Father, I pray that we would all agree we want them to come to know you as their Lord and Savior, that they would be our brother and sister in Christ. Father, forgive us your people as we quarreled over words and engaged in conversations that go nowhere. I thank you. Thank you for this day, for this discipline. Thank you for this word. That we might be a vessel and a church of honorable use to engage this community, this county, this state, this world. Come this time, respond, Lord. I pray for those individuals in this moment who know, speaking of sin and salvation, that they are still in their sin. They've yet to make it their decision. 
Father, your spirit would just prompt them to, to step forward, to walk the aisle, to come down, to confess you as their Lord and Savior. Pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ who are dealing with relationships need to be mended, Lord, that you give them the courage, the wisdom, the peace, the words of kindness. Thank you for this day. Let you alone be glorified as we come this time of invitation. Praise on the name of Jesus. Amen.